This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, August 31st. I'm Kate Trinko. And I'm Virginia Allen. Today is the deadline for all American troops to be pulled out of Afghanistan. Heritage Foundation's director of the Center for Foreign Policy, Luke Coffey, joins the show to explain what we know about the number of U.S. citizens still trapped in Afghanistan and whether we will be able to successfully get all Americans out. He also explains the terrorist threats the Taliban and ISIS-K now pose to America. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and please encourage others to subscribe. And now on to today's top news. Hurricane Ida tore through southeastern Louisiana over the weekend and into Monday morning. At least one person has been confirmed dead and over one million people are without power. Floodwaters forced some into their attics and even onto their roofs. Rescue crews saved at least 15 people from roofs on Monday morning. President Joe Biden and a host of other leaders spoke at a press briefing about the hurricane Monday afternoon. Here's what the president had to say per Yahoo News. The people of Louisiana and Mississippi are resilient, and but it's uh, in moments like these that we can certainly see the power of government to respond to the needs of the people if government's prepared and if they respond. That's our job if we work together. The folks get knocked down, we're there to help you get back on your feet. The most important element, though, is coordinating all the branches of government, state, local, and federal. And that's what we're trying to make sure that we tried to do before this hurricane hit. That's why we've begun working together. Uh, we're we're going to stand with you and the people of the Gulf as long as it takes for you to recover. More than 5,000 members of the National Guard have been deployed to help with search and rescue operations. The Education Department's Office for Civil Rights is investigating five states over their bans against forced masking indoors, saying it might be considered discrimination against students with disabilities. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona said in a statement, The department has heard from parents from across the country, particularly parents of students with disabilities and with underlying medical conditions, about how state bans on universal indoor masking are putting their children at risk and preventing them from accessing in-person learning equally. The five states under investigation are Iowa, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Utah. The European Union has recommended the suspension of all non-essential travel from America. The EU put America on its safe list in June, but has now taken the U.S. off of that list. To be kept on the safe list, America would have to have a max infection rate of 75 infections per 100,000 per day over the last two weeks. But over the past two weeks, America's infection rate rose to 333 per 100,000. America still has a non-essential travel ban on all flights from Europe. Bad news for Chinese kids who enjoy playing video games. The communist nation is banning any playing of video games beyond three hours a week, Reuters reports. Nor can you decide when to play video games. Each child will get one hour each day on Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, and holidays between 8 and 9 p.m. There will be a system in place to ensure that minors are following the rules. This isn't the first time China has cracked down on video games. 
Rules started in 2019 allowed minors no more than 90 minutes of video games a day and three hours on holidays. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Luke Coffey, director of the Center for Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation, as we discuss the final withdrawal from Afghanistan. Are you looking for an easy and entertaining way to keep up with the news you care about? The Daily Signal and Heritage Foundation YouTube channels offer interviews with policy experts on the most critical issues and debates America is facing today, as well as short explainer videos that break down complex issues and documentaries that dive deep into the ways policy actually impacts people. Go ahead and subscribe to both the Daily Signal and Heritage Foundation YouTube channels today. You can search for either on your YouTube app or visit youtube.com slash Heritage Foundation and youtube.com slash Daily Signal. Today is the deadline for all American troops to be out of Afghanistan and here with us to break down the latest news and what we know about the progress of the pullout is Heritage Foundation's director for the Center for Foreign Policy, Luke Coffey. Luke, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me on again. So today is the pullout deadline. Are all Americans out of Afghanistan? Well, they're not out right now, but they they will be. And we probably won't know when exactly they will be because that will be kept uh, secret, of course, for operational security reasons by the Pentagon. Um, but it's a very precarious time right now for not only the U.S. presence in Afghanistan as we wind up this mission there, but that for also our allies and also for the Afghans who um, have been essentially left behind. Yeah. We know that there are probably a couple of hundred U.S. citizens that are left in Kabul. Perhaps there are more in other places around the country. And who knows how many Afghan special immigrant visa applicants there are. These are the Afghans who helped us uh, over the past two decades during our time in Afghanistan. Who knows how many are still remaining in the country? Um, and for those Afghans who are left inside the airport after that last USC-17 leaves, it'll be a very um, frightful time for them, I suspect. Mm. So in relation to the American citizens that are on the ground there that we're still working to get out, you know, after the deadline, will those be covert operations trying to get them out? Do you think we'll have some freedom to still, you know, send some planes in and, you know, pull them out relatively, uh, you know, obviously to others? Or will those operations take place in secret? That, that remains to be seen. And it's a very good question. Uh, there are some private initiatives taking place, uh, the so-called Pineapple Express, which has been doing, uh, by all accounts, a good job at getting um, uh, U.S. citizens and Afghan interpreters out of the country. But they're also doing this uh, uh, with the U.S. military presence there in the background. Um, and the Taliban have said that uh, foreigners will be able to leave freely, uh, but they don't want Afghans to leave. Uh, but there's nothing in the past two decades that has shown us that we can trust the Taliban at their word. Uh, so in terms of any um, effort to get U.S. citizens out, uh, it'll be very difficult, if not impossible, at least in the short term. Hmm. And what about our Afghan partners? Are there still going to be operations to get some of them out after this deadline or – you know, are we just kind of saying good luck? Well, the, the Biden administration hasn't been very clear okay. on uh, on how they're going to deal with this. They, they keep telling the public that the Taliban have told them that none of this will be a problem. But clearly, it is going to be a problem. You know, the Taliban will say 
one thing one day and they'll say a completely different thing another. So I suspect, um, however uh, unbelievable it might sound to the listener, uh, after the deadline for American withdrawal, there will be American citizens stranded in Afghanistan and there will be Afghan SIV applicants who are also stranded. And do we know how many of those applicants we successfully got out and how many are, are still in the country as far as our Afghan partners? Again, the numbers coming out from the Pentagon are sort of all over the place. Um, in addition to uh, Afghan SIVs, other Afghans have been taken out of the country. Um, they've been brought to um, uh, a, third, a third country, for example, Qatar or the United Arab Emirates. Uh, for further security screening before they will eventually move on to the United States or to other places. Um, the, the exact numbers are, are unknown publicly, at least right now. How are the Afghan people viewing America's pullout? Is there a sense among them of, you know, good riddance? America's been here for 20 years. It's time for them to leave? Is it mixed? Do we do we know how they view this? Well, I think it depends on where you go and, and who you speak to in, in Afghanistan. I think generally speaking, um, many are probably disappointed or saddened or shocked or feel betrayed by the U.S. withdrawal and the way it has taken place. I mean, for example, if you're an Afghan soldier, um, you must have been shocked to discover that your number one partner for the, several years has just left, in some cases, in the middle of the night. President Biden had been criticizing the Afghan military for not fighting, um, but this is false. Uh, since the Afghans have taken over security and combat operations in 2015, they've suffered more than 70,000 killed, tens of thousands of more wounded. And we built this Afghan military around a system that relies on civilian contractors providing maintenance and support to helicopters and planes and logistics uh, and our close air support that we'd, we would provide uh, the, the Afghans. You know, we weren't – this wasn't 2009, 2010, 2011 where we had 100,000 U.S. troops in Afghanistan conducting combat operations every single day, taking casualties every day. When President Biden entered office, there were about 2,500 U.S. troops on the ground, and we were also providing our close air support. So if the Afghans were getting in trouble, we would provide airstrikes or whatever to help them. Uh, and in some cases, all of this was withdrawn you know, without the Afghans knowing and overnight. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that the Afghan soldier was demoralized by this. I think your average Afghan... Um, would not necessarily welcome the Taliban into their village, but what are their choices? Um, you know, the, the central government has all but dissolved. The U.S. is now gone, and you have an Afghan, you know, school teacher teaching children, and all of a sudden a couple of pickup trucks filled with Taliban fighters with machine guns shows up to your village. What, do you, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. And when President Biden says, well, they didn't fight, well, how, how is this person supposed to fight back? Yeah. Um, so I think in the end, uh, this will be a, a terrible stain on U.S. prestige and honor um, in history, and uh, it's probably going to come back to bite us. Well, you know, thinking about into the coming days, weeks, months, do you think that there's hope that we'll see any resistance from the Afghan people, that some of those soldiers that were trained by the American military will kind of reform and decide yeah. to fight against the Yes, Taliban? well, this is happening, actually, as we speak. Uh, there's one province in Afghanistan called Panjshir uh, that is under the control of the resistance. Uh, Panjshir is a, probably about um, 
60 or 70 miles as the crow flies northeast of Kabul, the capital. This resistance movement is being led by a, a young man called Ahmed Shah Massoud Jr. Now, Ahmed Shah Massoud Sr., his father, led the resistance against the Soviets and also against the Taliban in the 1990s. He was assassinated on September 9th, 2001, two days before 9-11, by al-Qaeda. Um, his 32-year-old son um, fled Kabul in some helicopters, went to his homeland in Panjshir Valley, and has set up resistance. Uh, he, he claims that um, forces are pouring into this region every single day and that uh, I suspect they're trying to hold out until winter. If they can hold out until winter, then we might see some movement on their behalf, taking back some of the um, uh, provinces in the north of Afghanistan where the Taliban are going to have a difficult time controlling and managing. But this is very early days. But there is a resistance. There are Afghan commandos, soldiers that are pouring into this region. But I don't know if uh, – they're called the National Resistance Front of Afghanistan, the NRF. I'm not sure if the NRF thinks – knows if they can trust the United States right now. Mm. Could they trust the Biden administration after what the Biden administration had done? But this this young man, Ahmed Shah Massoud Jr., he knows um, – he's acutely aware of his, his uh, father's role and his father's uh, history – and he will act accordingly because of this legacy. So he is probably right now um, the, the best hope in terms of slowly turning the tide against the Taliban. But this takes us back full circle to where we were in the 1990s. And regrettably, all of this could have been avoided had President Biden kept uh, the 2,500 troops in the country and the close air support. Well, and that really brings us to ask the question of, how how has President Biden's actions affected uh, really America's position on the world stage and other international leaders' views of America? What are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, well, it's been it's been horrible to be honest. Um, America's adversaries will now be pushing the envelope a little bit more every single time to see just what they can get away with with the with the Biden administration. Um, America's friends are questioning uh, U.S. resolve and commitment. Um, President Biden was all but censured in the House of Commons last week. Uh, from This is from America's number one ally. Uh, so many people are scratching their heads wondering, well, what does this mean um, for, the, for you know, our relations with the U.S., for uh, American commitment to security alliances and security agreements? And our adversaries in Beijing and Moscow and Tehran – they're all looking at this as an opportunity, and they will take advantage of this. How they will take advantage of it remains to be seen, but they will. I can mm. guarantee it. Mm. So, Luke, let's chat a little bit more about the, the day that's ahead of us, this pullout deadline. We are having this conversation on Monday. It's impossible to know what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. But how likely do you think it is that we're going to continue to see uh, attack attempts like we saw over the weekend and on Monday on the airport as as Americans uh, complete this pullout on Tuesday? Well, we'll for sure be under threat. Um, the withdrawal of this nature is creates a very vulnerable environment for, um, for the military. Um, they have to gradually hand over chunks of the airport to Taliban control while they continue to secure a smaller and smaller bit until the last airplane takes off with the last soldiers and the last equipment. 
what will they do with the remaining equipment? Um, will they destroy it? Will they just leave it behind? Or will they find a way to, to take it out? Who knows? Obviously, the priority will be taking out the, um, the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines that are there. Uh, when that last C-17 takes off, you know, you know, will you have a situation where desperate Afghans flood the runway again, um, trying to stop it? Uh, how will the Taliban react? And of course, you have um, you have uh, the so-called Islamic State of Khorasan, or ISIS-K, mm-hmm. as it's known, the ISIS branch in Afghanistan. That's probably the easiest way to describe them. Um, they are uh, they were responsible for the terrible bombing that killed uh, 13 U.S. service personnel and more than 170 Afghans last week, and they will be um, trying to take advantage of the situation and. You know, the U.S., where the Biden administration is now reliant on the Taliban and specifically the this terrorist organization called the Haqqani Network uh, to provide security for Kabul and security for the U.S. forces that are leaving. I mean, the, the, the leader of the Haqqani Network has a $5 million um, bounty on his head from the FBI. And this is a guy whose group, terror group, is now responsible for the security at in, in Kabul. You couldn't make it up if you tried. The situation is so absurd. Uh, so it is a very dangerous time. Um, right now, we should be you know, praying for our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines that are trying to wrap up this very dangerous mission in Kabul. We should also have in our minds those Americans who will be left behind and also the Afghans who um, deserve to get out but can't. What is the Taliban doing right now? Are, have they been cooperating with America? And do we know if they have any responsibility for uh, for the the attacks that we have seen, well, the, for the most part, the Taliban has allowed the the bare minimum to occur, so it looks like the U.S. is withdrawing people from Kabul International Airport, but they've been doing so while not allowing full and free access for Afghans and American citizens to get to the airport. Basically, they want the Americans out. Uh, they don't want to do anything too provocative that would you know, somehow change President Biden's mind. At, at this point, I have no idea what, what that might be, but they, they still don't want to tempt their fate in this. Um, and they want to let the world see how incompetent uh, and weak America looks while it does the withdrawal process. So that's why they're letting it happen. They're just not letting it happen very smoothly. And so there is some cooperation and coordination between the U.S. military and the Taliban. Now, the, now ISIS-K um, and the Taliban are actually adversaries and enemies, okay. which just shows how complicated Afghanistan is. In the past, the Taliban have fought ISIS in Afghanistan. Um, in fact, there have been reports of you know, the U.S. providing uh, airstrikes in support of Taliban offensives against ISIS-K uh, in eastern Afghanistan. Uh, and this will likely become a major headache for the Taliban as the as ISIS in Afghanistan tries to exert more control and take advantage of what is a very chaotic security situation. And um, it, it will probably mean that the Taliban will not be able to control and secure and govern much of the land that it currently has in Afghanistan, right? It took a lot of uh, land and territory over the past two weeks, but can it govern and control and that's the big question for the Taliban now. Hmm. So we're really looking at a situation that's obviously it's deteriorating quickly. Uh, what do you think, as far as kind of strength and numbers, does ISIS-K pose 
an, an immediate threat to, let's say, overtaking the Taliban in Afghanistan? And then what threat do they pose immediately to America? Well, one of the um, good news stories about America's presence in Afghanistan for two decades was that during the course of 20 years, there wasn't once a, a terrorist attack that was planned, coordinated, and launched from Afghanistan that was successful against the United States. Um, now, uh, it's likely that Afghanistan will revert to the chaos we saw in the 1990s, where you have you know, four or five different warlords or power brokers that control certain parts of the country. Um, in, in this chaos, it's likely that non-state actors and terrorist groups will be able to set up shop if they wanted to. Already, we have signs of senior al-Qaeda members coming back from Pakistan into uh, rural places of Afghanistan. This is documented on social media for anyone to see. Um, and ISIS will continue to pose a threat to, uh, to the U.S., but they will pose a threat to the Taliban's legitimacy to, and the Taliban's um, ability to control and, and govern certain areas. They w they're not a major power right now in, in Afghanistan. Um, they were recruiting a lot from uh, disenchanted Taliban fighters who felt like that, you know, the, the movement wasn't going in the direction it should be going. I mean, ISIS-K is very uh, extreme in, in its views and how it, it um, practices uh, um, Islam in a way that even the Taliban find abhorrent in many ways. I mean, the Taliban would release statements criticizing ISIS when they did things in Syria. Mm -hmm. um, so these two powers will be fighting against each other. This will make the Taliban focus a lot on trying to defeat and counter ISIS. One thing the Taliban would have going for it is, um, you know, recruitment, uh, recruitment is uh, improved when you're successful. And the Taliban has been successful. So a lot of recruits that might have gone to ISIS are likely to go to uh, the Taliban. But the Taliban is going to have a problem governing and controlling the whole country because most of the country, um, most of the big cities and provinces uh, switched sides to the Taliban without a shot being fired. Incidentally and coincidentally, I should say, this is how the Taliban gained most of its power in the 1990s was through local deals, bribery, convincing people to switch sides. Um, and this happened again. Uh, so how the Taliban manages this new complex set of relations that it now has with different power brokers across the country will determine how securely and how well they'll be able to govern and control the country. And this will not be easy for the Taliban. Well, and of course, you know, we can't change the past. We can't change what's already happened in Afghanistan. But how does America go about mitigating the damage and trying to prevent any further loss of life moving forward. What does our foreign policy towards Afghanistan need to look like right now in the immediate future? Well, the Biden administration hasn't left much room for maneuver here. Um, I suspect this administration will try to pursue a pragmatic relationship with the Taliban, which ultimately will uh, let America down. Um, there's in terms of uh, uh, America's options, I think in, in, in the short term, we need to find ways to get the remaining Afghan uh, SIV applicants and U.S. citizens out of that country. I'm not sure how that might take place, but that should be a top priority. And then we need to double down on um, our relationship with key partners in the region, such as India, 
for example, or some of the Central Asian republics, the so-called stands, you know, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. These are countries that are right on the front lines, not in a military sense, but in the literal sense. They, the the uh, Tajikistan and Uzbekistan border Afghanistan. They have a lot at stake with how Afghanistan goes. There are huge um, ethnic minority groups in Afghanistan that come from there are a lot of uh, ethnic Uzbeks, ethnic Tajiks. Uh, so these countries will play a role in the future of Afghanistan one way or the other. So the U.S. needs good relations with these countries. And then finally, I think we need to have an honest discussion about how we engage with or maybe even support the NRF, the National Resistance Front of Afghanistan. You know, right now they need um, they they need uh, bandwidth and connectivity. Uh, the Taliban are trying to cut off their uh, internet access. Um, you know, right now, the from my contacts that are involved with the NRF, they tell me that they can't stream anything. They can barely use Twitter and barely send text messages. Um, and we need to provide them cold weather gear. The winter is coming in Afghanistan. Um, if they can survive the winter, uh, it gives them more options in, in the springtime. They can consolidate more, get more supporters into this secure region. And also, um, you never know. This region may be a um, – if they can expand this region, the National Resistance Front, then maybe that becomes a safe area where those who are stranded in Afghanistan can somehow make their way to. Uh, so we need to figure out how we support this new group. I'm not sure if they even need weapons right now. I mean there's so many weapons floating around Afghanistan. But they do need secure communications. They need, do need bandwidth and they, and they do need um, winter weather equipment. Uh, mm. f for this coming winter. That's a practical need. Yeah. Certainly is. That's very achievable. Yeah. Well, the anniversary of 9-11, it's less than two weeks away. Do you think that America is at legitimate risk of facing another terrorist attack, whether it be from the Taliban, ISIS-K, Al-Qaeda? Of course. Um, and, and, but I've always, you know, I always start at the uh, assumption that we are at risk and that we have to take steps to mitigate that risk. But certainly, the way the Taliban has been able to sweep across Afghanistan, it will embolden Islamist fundamentalists around the world um, to be even um, more daring or to be more aggressive towards the United States. Uh, it's a sad uh, geopolitical irony that the Taliban will control more of Afghanistan than on September 11th, 2021, than it did on September 11th, 2001. And all of this was avoidable had the Biden administration pursued a different policy. But this is where we are. So hopefully, you know, the U.S., I'm sure our, the professionals in the Department of Homeland Security and our law enforcement professionals and our military professionals and those in the intelligence community are working tirelessly with our allies and partners to ensure that we um, remain safe here in the homeland. Luke Coffey, Heritage Foundation's director for the Center for Foreign Policy. Luke, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And please encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we will be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.